We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. So the LA Rams will be the number two seed. They finished 13 and 3, a 13 win season for the third time in franchise history. I've been dreaming this my whole life. And so have you. Yeah. It's time to put in the work. Yeah. Every man go dominate. Boys, Offense, defense, special team. Let's go. What are we talking about? Greg Zerline sends the Rams to the Super Bowl. Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Derek C. Apollo here, flying solo for a midweek edition of the show. Folks, we are on the tour around the league, and that means all kinds of interviews with different members of the media across the board, podcasters, newspaper folks, all great sources of information about all the different teams across the NFL, and they will be going on throughout the season. Tonight, 
Well, we have from the Kansas City Star, Brooke Pryor. And she covers the Kansas City Chiefs, so they're getting the lowdown on what that team did over the offseason, where she thinks they're going, and of course, what to do with some of the changes and so on and so forth. And then later on in the show, we have Scott Gorbrinson from Silver and Black Today out there in Las Vegas. They are now the, the new cover team. Basically, they're getting camp set up for when the, for the Raiders move there next year. And he'll give us the lowdown on what the heck is going on out there with, well, Chucky, <laughs> John Gruden. So, Stick in, stick around for a little bit. Let's have a good night tonight and talk some Rams football and also get a little bit of news from around the league. All right, so first things first, before we even get to our interview, we do want to remind you that this show is sponsored by Jim Hawk and his book, Hollywood's Team. Also, I'll let you know that our podcast can be found anywhere on the internet, including Spotify, SoundCloud, and Spreaker. Also, of course, that means iTunes. So definitely, as a matter of fact, with iTunes, what we'd love for you to do is head on over there, leave a five-star review if you haven't done that before. Once 200 five-star reviews, we'll go ahead and pick one lucky winner to receive a $75 gift ticket over to NFLShot.com. This is how it works. Head over to iTunes. Leave a review. Five stars. Okay? Has to be five stars. That's what we're going to recognize. Send us an email at ranstop1945 at gmail.com with a copy of your entry so we know who to reward. And we'll also read your feedback on the show. If you think, well, you know, they don't quite deserve a five-star review yet. That's fine. You know what we can do? We'd love to hear your feedback. Email us at ramstop1945 at com. Let us know what you'd like to see on the show. Let us know about... You know, pretty much anything you want to talk about concerning the Rams or anybody else for that matter. All right? So, there you go. First up, we have Brooke Pryor from the Kansas City Star. She was in a really nice interview. Had lots of things to talk about. Pay attention closely to her thoughts and feelings on Tyreek Hill. And, we well, we get knee-deep on that one, folks. Not going to lie. It's also very uncomfortable. So, if you're not up for that conversation, I understand. But here we go. Here's an interview with Pryor from the Kansas City Star. All right, folks, I'm here with Brooke Pryor, the Chiefs beat reporter from the Kansas City Star. Brooke, how are you doing tonight? Not too bad. Just, you know, trying to have a little bit of offseason, but it seems like we're not going to get much of that in Kansas City. Uh, well, not in Kansas City. I couldn't imagine that as much of a football town as that is. And just the way you guys maneuver around the draft a little bit and some of the things we're hearing about Tyreek Hill, got lots of things to ask you about. And, uh, you know, I guess the first thing here is uh, what was the feeling about the feeling in the Chiefs organization after finishing a mostly successful 2018 season? You know, I, I think that, yes, it was successful and it's more successful than it's been in recent years with the trip to the AFC Championship, with hosting the AFC Championship. Um, but I think that the way that that game ended with, you know, the offsides call, it goes to overtime and then the Chiefs can't get a stop and, Brady completes, I think, what was it, three third downs uh, to Adeline to end up winning that game in overtime. And so I think there was just this feeling and sense of um, that the the season, you know, wasn't as successful as they wanted it to be, obviously. I think they feel like they came up just short of their ultimate goal of making it to the Super Bowl, and it happened in a really gut-wrenching way. Not quite as gut-wrenching, you know, as the Saints, um, but a situation that they felt like they could be um, that, you know, the, the defense had kind of been their Achilles heel all year, and that's what ended up doing them in the long run. And so I think they entered the offseason knowing, hey, we've got to do some rebuilding on the defensive side of the ball. We were so close, but we've got to make some changes to make sure we're really maximizing the talent that we have on the offensive side of the ball. So you guys did make some serious changes. The Chiefs actually didn't wait long. 
After that loss to fire defensive coordinator Bob Sutton, they bring in someone we're familiar with, Steve Spagnolo, and he's moving this team back to a 4-3. So why, when you already have a core set of personnel, do the Chiefs go to a 4-3 and then overhaul that defense? You know, I think that while, yeah, there were some core pieces of a 3-4 of a that they could have kept, it made more sense to completely redo everything and bring in a guy that Andy Reid knows and trusts. Um, Justin Houston, yes, he had a good season, but he also had an expensive contract and was getting up there in age and, and wasn't as good as he used to be. And so I think they were able to cut him. Uh, Breland Speaks is a natural 4-3 D end, uh, so he was easy to transition over. Uh, D Ford was kind of a tweener guy that they ended up trading uh, for that 2020 pick. Um, and so I think that they felt like, yeah, they were going to have to redo some things, but they were they would be more successful with a complete overhaul. And that's what they've done. You know, with Spagnuolo, they've added some more pieces, Tyron Matthew, Frank Clark, um, Alex Okafor, Damian Wilson. They're really, you know, taking a, a defense that was, I think, 31st in the league in overall defense and just completely overhauling it um, because you can't get much worse when you're 31st, so why not try something completely different and see if that works. Um, so I think that's why they kind of came to the decision that they did. So with these moves, though, you get Frank Clark in there. And it's I don't, I'm not real big on teams getting a reputation. You know, some are deserved. I think the Bengals have a pretty well-deserved reputation for over the years and some of the ways they handle things. But the Chiefs in particular – They've been snake bit when it comes to players with personal issues at home. They released Kareem Hunt last year after being bust attacking a woman. Tyreek Hill has recording with his child. Um, they just traded for Frank Clark when war came out that he has his own domestic issues. How are the Chiefs handling this, especially when you have sites like Yahoo Sports publishing pieces of Sh- Shanice Malise Young over there at Yahoo Sports, que- you know, openly questioning the Chiefs' attitude about things like domestic abuse. Yeah, and, you know, I, I don't even know that, that think that is quite the right word because they know what they're getting into with these guys. You know, Kareem Hunt, he may be someone that there were no real warning signs when they drafted him, but Tyreek Hill, they knew that coming into this organization that he had this uh, domestic violence in his past. He was arrested and charged in 2014 after he choked uh, the mother of his now three-year-old while she was eight weeks pregnant. Um, that was a huge issue, um, and they decided to, and a huge risk, and they decided to go with him anyway. And they do the same thing with Frank Clark, and this is an organization that has the Jovan Belcher murder-suicide in its past. And so it's it's really concerning and troubling that they keep putting themselves in these situations um, and keep putting, you know, these these players that, that have risk associated with them, bringing them into this organization. Um, and so I, I think that we're going to see... Um, you know, well, I would like to say that we're going to see some changes in how the Chiefs do some things. Um, but when we talked to owner Frank, uh, owner Clark Hunt on uh, the Saturday of the draft, he said, no, we haven't changed the way that we vet players. But he made sure to say that there's a new philosophy that comes with each general manager in the organization. Um, and Brett Beach is a guy that really values high-character players. But, of course, they did bring Frank Clark into the organization. Um, and he had the domestic violence incident also in 2014 um, and was arrested and charged and put it down to a fourth-degree um, fourth degree charge. But still, I mean, you, you can say one thing, but their actions are showing something else right now. 
Um, and so I think that this organization has some, some soul searching to do if that's what they want to do. But they have some big decisions coming up regarding the future of Tyreek Hill and how they want to draft and, and add players in the future. So I guess I, I kind of want to really want to make sure I clarify this. Are you saying that the chief, the reputation we're starting to the Chiefs get concerning domestic issues is starting to be earned? Yes, I, I think so. Um, because, yeah, I mean, they, they keep adding these players, and there's something that's really jarring about having audio of one of your star players come out Thursday night where he talks about, uh, where he and his fiance, you know, are, are talking about um, punishing their child by having, you know, Tyreek punch him in the chest and the child saying that daddy did it in regards to his broken arm. You know, it, it's jarring to hear that happen on Thursday night and then Friday afternoon he introduced Frank Clark. Um, and no, these are not the, the same players by any means and, and their issues are not exactly the same, but still they're both players with domestic violence issues and I just think that that was interesting timing to choose to introduce him. They'd already planned that before the audio came out. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Chiefs, that's, that is kind of the reputation that they have right now and they're going to have to do some, change some things if they want to get rid of that reputation. Okay, well, geez. Um, moving to the football <laughs> side of things, <laughs> that's always like the most awkward thing to talk about, isn't it? It's never fun. Yes, yeah. Well, never fun. No, it's not. Um, but on the football side of things, we you just talked about the things that have been flipped defensively, and that meant seeing some guys go, like Eric Berry, Justin Houston, D. Ford. How did the players react to losing these these familiar faces? And what do you make of the new ro- new veterans they brought on the roster? You know, I, I think that the players that were lost, the, the way that the ones you know left behind kind of viewed them as you know thankful for what these veterans gave to this organization. Uh, you know, especially guys like Justin Houston, and Eric Berry, that had been here for a long time and were leaders in the locker room. Especially someone like Eric Berry, who wasn't you know able to play at the level he had initially played at in the last couple of years just because of injuries. Um, I think that they were really grateful for the time that they have these players and for everything they gave to the organization. Um, but we also haven't been able to really talk to many guys since then. Um, I missed the loan availability um, with some of these players when I was getting married a couple weeks ago, so I haven't been able to talk to anyone quite yet. Um, but still, I mean, the overall sense that I get is that they are, um, you know, just just understand that that's a business decision that had to be made. Um, and then as far as some of the other veterans uh, that have been added you have Tyron Matthew obviously and then Frank Clark um, but Tyron Matthew he's a young guy but he's coming in and he recognizes that this um, locker room especially on the defensive side needs a leader and that's the kind of guy he is and he's ready to step up and be a leader and it seems like the players are going to be really receptive to that um, he's a young guy he's been through a lot um, he's been at a couple of different stops and he's really found his voice as a player and as a leader. And so I think that people are going to be receptive to him in the locker room. Um, and I'm excited to see what he's able to do. Think about you just Tyron Matthew. I'm just to hit the maturity. He was the honey badger comes in the league, mm-hmm. you know, goes a little bit later in the draft because of his reputation, tears an ACL and he's become a totally different personality now in the game to a guy you weren't sure you wanted around to being what you just described a leader in the field. And I think that it has to make a difference, especially for a team that just lost a bunch of leaders. So Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a guy that you do want in the organization because he can help some of these younger guys 
um, who may have made mistakes, gone through a rough patch and said, hey, I've been there and I've come through the other side and this is where I am now. So then comes the draft. And the Chiefs maneuvered a little bit. They, they had several different things going on with them. How do you grade the 2019 Chiefs draft hall and which draftee was the, is the one you believe to watch out for heading into 2019? Yeah, you know, I think the Chiefs as a whole, I'd give them a, I think I give them a B plus today in the draft grades that I did, um, because they did address a lot of needs, um, and they, I think, because of the Tyree Kill situation, had to kind of change their draft strategy just a bit. Um, you know, Andy Reid said that they went into this draft with a wide receiver on their, you know, position of needs list on their big board, um, but I think given Tyree Kill's kind of uncertain future right now, they needed to trade up and get McCole Hardman. Um, knowing that they needed a speedy wide receiver to replace or step into that role that, uh, that Tyreek's had the last couple of years. Um, they addressed uh, the quarterback need, but they did wait until the sixth round. Um, I think that, you know, before the Chiefs made the Frank Clark trade and everything, it, it seemed like at 29 they were going to need to take an elite corner like Byron Murphy or, or Rocky Asen. Um, but they wait till the sixth round and get Rashad Fenton. Um, but before that, in the second round, they get Juan Thornhill at safety and Colin Saunders uh, at defensive tackle, and both of those picks are huge. Um, I thought that Juan Thornhill would be gone in the first round, and the fact that he fell to 63 overall and that she's able to get him works out really well. He's a versatile back. He's going to be a really good complementary player to Tyron Matthew and kind of allow Tyron Matthew to play more strong safety, and he'll be a true center fielder um, back there at free. And Colin Saunders, you know, he's like 6'2", I think, 320 pounds, and he played running back in high school. So this is a guy that is a very unique defensive tackle. Um, he's got a lot of wiggle. Um, I just think that he's going to fit in really well and be a part of that core nucleus of defensive players that the Chiefs are trying to build um, and a strong rotation of defensive line. And then their last two picks, they get Darwin Thompson, running back from Utah State in the sixth, and he's kind of a change of pace back from what they have in the running back class and in the running back room right now. Um, he's 5'8", 200 pounds or so, and Brett Veach, the GM, is a really big fan of running backs who are 6'2", 220. So they got him to kind of be this um, glorified scat back. He is incredibly strong. The term that the Chiefs keep using is rocked up, looks like a bodybuilder with his shirt off. Um, runs through contact really well, and also catches the ball really well. Um, and then their final pick, Nick Allegretti, a center out of Illinois, who also plays guard, and that's a position of need after they let Mitch Morris walk in free agency, and they lost some other interior guys, um, Jeff Allen, Jordan Debbie. And so that's a position that they really did need to find someone who can be versatile and give them some depth there. And I think that they did a good job by finding him late in the draft. Um, and so I, I think that the Chiefs overall – address a lot of their major needs. They didn't get a tight end, and that's kind of a spot that I thought they, they needed to go for. And then having to wait so long to get corner, to get a corner, I think I dinged them just a little bit for that. But overall, you know, not, not an electrifying draft, but one that I think is, is sound across the board. Sounds a lot like our draft was this year. We just went and got all yeah. the needs filled, the wherever you can fill them, and hopefully that's enough. <laughs> that's how exactly. it feels for us, too. <laughs> Uh, now, Colin Sanders was a guy that we wanted, that we as the fan base were really wanted over here in Ramsland. And uh, there were quite a few groans when we saw him go off the board to Kansas City. What is their take on him concerning, you know, to mention 6'2", 324? And that height for a defensive tackle, 
that used to be a problem. You usually wanted them a little taller, 6'3", six, 6'4". Six, but now with Aaron Dahl in the league, what he's showing is you can get up under pads more with that smaller frame. Is that what they're looking for with Colin Saunders? What are they really? What are the hopes there for him as the years move forward? Yeah, I think that that's exactly what they like about him. And they have Derek Nottie right now, who is about, I believe, a similar size. Um, and they're okay with that. They're okay with the undersized defensive tackle because they've seen what Nottie can do, and they've seen Saunders' tape, and he, he performs just fine at 6'2". And he, Colin Saunders, said in a bunch of interviews, you know, Aaron Donald, he doesn't want to be the next Aaron Donald by any means, but that's who he's kind of modeling his game after. He's watching his tape. He's inspired by the things that he can do. And so, yeah, I think the Chiefs saw that that's a, a position of need and a position where they could go and grab him, and they had him valued as a um, a high second-round pick. And so the fact that he was still available there in the third round was huge, and they, they said it was a no-brainer to go ahead and grab him there. Um, and, you know, I, I think that that's going to be one of the best picks to come out of this draft for them. Okay, so with all the different changes made here, the, the defensive change in terms of just the – formation, the roster changes, the controversies with Tyreek Hill, the new draft class. Are the Chiefs still the favorites to win the AFC West in 2019, or have the Chargers caught them? Um, you know, it's tough to say at this point. I, I think that they have to be the favorites just because you've got Patrick Mahomes on that roster. And when you have the reigning NFL MVP on your roster and the majority of your offense back, I think that they have to continue to be the favorites. Um, but of course that can change some given on, on what, on the uncertainty around Tyree kill and some of the uncertainty around the defense, uh, because we don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I mean, Patrick Mahomes proved time and time again last year to not count him out and not count this team out. So I think that they, that they will go into the season as the favorite. All right, Book, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate you just taking the time to just break down some Chiefs football for us. Can you tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter and so on and so forth? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my Twitter handle is at B.E. Pryor, and you can read all of our Chiefs content online at KansasCity.com. Is that is that a paywall thing, or is it totally free? Uh, there is a paywall, but you do get a certain number of metered articles per month. Um, but gotcha. we do have a Sports Pass subscription, so it's 30 bucks for the whole year, unlimited sports uh, coverage. So if you are a local sports junkie, especially for football, there you go. Brooke, thanks so much again for taking the time, and you know, hopefully we're talking again next year. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having right, me on. All right. Really nice lady. Really had a lot of things to say. Congratulations again, Brooke, to your wedding. It's an awesome thing to behold. <laughs> I can get married and hopefully live uh, live life happily ever after. You know, it's it's really a special thing. The Chiefs to me are a concern to be a letdown because they're they're doing so many things differently. They're going from a four three to a three four. They are moving in a completely different direction defensively, and it may work out, but I'm not sure if it's going to work out right away. You're going to flip that entire defense around. You don't also know what's going to happen with Patrick Mahomes. Will he have a sophomore slump? Will he just get better? How will he will he work with possibly a new offense in place? due to Tyreek Hill probably being gone. And, of course, now Kareem Hunt as well has been gone. So a lot of questions there. I'm never going to forget, though, the excitement 
the Chiefs and the, and the Rams let, gave us on the mind night a year ago. It was one of the awesomest nights in Rams history in terms of just football and and the, the emotion around it with the fires. So, you know, I, we can be thankful to the Chiefs for that and glad we won. And I'm looking forward to see what this Chiefs franchise does in the future. And we'll also look forward to see how the Rams get better. We might, you never know. We may be seeing a Rams-Chiefs Super Bowl next year. All right, so before we move on, a word from our sponsor. Most of us are practically addicted to anything Los Angeles Rams. Well, if you want to learn more about the Rams' history with a bit of personal touch, check out Jim Hawks, Hollywood's Teen Grit, Glamour, and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. The book tells the story of the 1950s Rams. So it lends to Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out the story of his father and the team he played for in an era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. Rebound players like Norm Van Brocklin. Elway, Crazy Church, Tom Fears, and Les Richter in this story spend the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawk's book online at hollywoodsteam.com and on Twitter at hollywoodsteam. It's also available both in hardback and electronic form on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. And folks, the paperbacks come out real soon, September 6th. Okay, one more thing. All proceeds from this book go to Homeboy Industries, which works to help people in the Los Angeles area, get out of the gang life and back to being productive members of society. So this is a lifesaver in a lot of ways to help people be productive, be people we can count on and leave those old things behind them. So again, check it out. Jim Hawk's book, Hall of Seen Grit, Glamour, 1950s LA Rams. And well, it's well worth your time. Please, by the way, send us a copy of the review that you leave on Amazon. Hopefully you do that. Okay, finally, before we go ahead and talk to Scott, you can reach out to us at Rams1945 or leave us a voicemail if you're interested in sponsoring the show. We have a media kit ready to get out to you. And also, don't forget, we do have Talking Halos, our Angels podcast, for those of you who, you know, granted, very few of you are, but who have many Angels fans, check it out again. It's Talking Halos. And hopefully, soon we have the Dodgers one off working pretty well. Okay, so Scott Gobertson over. For the Silver and Black today in Las Vegas, really cool interview with him. Got really deep into his brain about what his mentality is concerning John Gruden. And he might change your mind a little bit about what you thought John Gruden and Mike Mayock are doing out there. Also, since I personally believe the bigger competition for the Rams in Los Angeles are the Raiders, not the Chargers, it's really interesting to get his point of view overall in terms of the direction of the franchise, where it's going, and from that point forward. All right, so check it out. Here's Scott Goldbrunson from The Silver and Black today. All right, folks, I am here with Scott Goldbrunson here from The Silver and Black today, also Sports Radio 1140, to talk to us about the Raiders and what they did. And, uh, Scott, that draft was bananas. At least it started <laughs> bananas for anybody who's watching on the outside. How can how should we evaluate John Gruden and Mike Mayock's first season in charge? Well, I'll tell you what. I, th- I think if you look at it, uh, they have correctly called it a foundation draft, and I think that's, that's accurately put. Uh, it's not a draft that you would consider to be sexy as far as, uh, you know, they pass on a couple guys that were big names right at number four, including uh, Josh Allen and including Ed Oliver, who everyone thought that they would take, and they went with Clellan Farrell instead, who is a great player, don't get me wrong. Uh, but a lot of people thought that maybe he was a top 10 player, top 15 player, but not a top five player. But if you look at the totality of what, what they've done, um, I, you know, it, I think it's 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 very, very good draft. Um, but it's not going to be one that people are going to get 
uh, really, really excited about, except for those who understand that when you're building a football team, uh, as bad as they've been, you needed to really start with a foundation, and I think that's what they got with this draft class. See, this is where I'm confused a little bit, because a couple years ago when the Raiders went to the playoffs, it looked like they had that foundation. And then the Khalil Mack contract dispute happens. What changed about this team's plan, both for last year and this year, when it comes down to Khalil Mack and other contract decisions? Well, I think with the with the taking aside the Khalil Mack situation, which we can address, I think that with this team, when you go back to 2016, uh, it was a good team. I think maybe they were playing a little bit above where uh, they might have been from a talent perspective. And Derek Carr had a great year. I mean, he was a MV, viable MVP candidate before he broke his leg the next to last week of the season uh, in week 16 of that year. So, so I think that they really rode on Derek. Uh, Carr's arm, and they got great play from a lot of different guys, uh, but that didn't last. And then, of course, you go into 17, Carr comes back uh, and not not quite himself, still coming off injury, as anybody would be. Uh, and then, yeah, then you go into last year, uh, John Gruden's first year back at the helm, and you have the Cleo Mack situation, which, of course, still is not very popular with fans. But if you look at what they did this year in the draft, and then you look at what they have next year, uh, including another number one pick from the Bears, uh, you can see that they felt like, from their standpoint, what they wanted to do and how they wanted to build a long-term uh, championship team and an organization, they were going to have to trade their best guy, in essence, to try to stockpile players and build the roster they want the way they want to. So should Raider fans be pleased with the flexibility that Mac, the Mac trade gave the team, both in the draft and financially overall? Well, I, I think that... In some ways, yes, but we're far from knowing what the true answer to that is because you have to see how these picks pan out and how next year's picks pan out. We won't know that for three or four years. So on the face of it, the Bears get the better end of the deal now because they get a player that's ready to go, and they're a pretty good team, uh, obviously vying for playoff spot, whereas the Raiders are still trying to find that. But I think overall, from an organizational standpoint, it was a good move, uh, even though it was very, very unpopular uh, at the time, but you know, when you're building a franchise and you're about to move to a new city, have a new stadium, a new headquarters, and start over, basically, uh, it's it's what I think they needed to do at the time. You just mentioned something that I was getting ready to go to, and how awkward is it now for the Raiders to be playing in Oakland, despite the knowledge the team is moving <laughs> to Las Vegas and hasn't affected ticket sales and the overall relationship with the team's diehard fans. Well, you know, it's funny. Uh, we get a lot of listeners to our show since we stream it um, uh, on Radio.com as well. You know, we get a lot of our listeners are from out of the state of Nevada. They're from Northern California. They're from all over the country. And the one thing I'll tell you is that, yes, the, the Oakland fans are um, not, not happy that their team is leaving. Who would be, right? Um, and so you understand that, but I think they've gotten over it. They've accepted it. And the one thing I will say about Raider Nation and Raider fans is that they love their team. It wouldn't matter if they were playing in Thailand. They would still be Raider fans for the most part. Now, did they lose some folks who were very, very upset about them leaving? Absolutely. But overall, when you go to a game in Oakland, you see uh, if you go to the airport on the morning of the game, the flights from Los Angeles are completely packed, all with Raider fans in their jerseys. So Raider Nation has kind of been used to being nomadic and now being in Las Vegas, it's a close one hour and 20 minute flight from Oakland and from Los Angeles. So even though it's been a very odd situation, perhaps the, the most odd ever in the history of sports when a team says we're leaving in three years, basically, when that happened two years ago, um, it, it, is, it looks like everybody's on board and those that aren't uh, are, have moved on. So 
the Raiders did make a ton of free agency signings. What are the best and worst signings this offseason, and what's the team's overall mindset with free agency, especially with this offseason? Well, of course, um, the, the big trade, too, with Antonio Brown is a big mm-hmm. one. I think that is going to be something that is going to help, obviously, on the offensive side when you get a receiver like that. But if you look at Tyrell Williams, who they signed from the Chargers, another wide receiver, and then you look at Vontez Burfecht, who has had his problems. I know a lot of people want to call him a dirty player or whatnot, but the guy's a competitor, uh, and they've upgraded that position, which, frankly, um, Raiders have not had linebackers for a long time. So to get him there is really, I think, a good thing. And then uh, Joyner um, from from uh, the Rams, actually. Um, they Signing him was a great addition to the defensive backfield. They spent a lot of draft picks in defensive back. I like all the moves that they made. I don't think that they made a really a, a bad free agent move at all because this team was in, in need of so many different guys at so many different positions. And I think they've done a good job in this second year of addressing those needs. Do they still have holes? Yes, they do, especially at linebacker. Uh, But at the same time, I like what they've done. And then the addition of the kids that they drafted, I think they're, they're back into a place where if they didn't have the most difficult schedule in the NFL this year, you know, they might be a borderline playoff team. As it sits now, I think they're probably more like a six-win team, uh, but it looks better for the future with who they brought in and who they drafted this, this April. Now, you, you mentioned LaMarcus Joyner. Is there anything you want to know from us about, about Joyner coming from well, us to you? Yeah, well, I would love to know. I mean, I know what he plays and what he doesn't play. Uh, but as far as his fit on uh, on the Rams and kind of the, the type of player he is, tell, tell us a little bit about that. Oh, he's a ball hawk. That's the one thing you're going to get out of him. You're <laughs> yes. going to get a guy who is not afraid to go after the football, and that means also not afraid to make a mistake. The problem is with him is he didn't live up to that contract this year. That's why the Rams just were like, okay, you got, you just, we're going to move on. Because they weren't going to go out there and spend the money, the big money that was involved with him, when he didn't live up nearly to the contract that was set forth. And what I mean by that is he was out of coverage a lot this year. He did not communicate well with John Johnson back there on the defensive back. They didn't communicate well with Marcus Peters either. And so that's going to be something to watch because given the talent the Rams had back in the secondary, that secondary should have been dominant all year. And they really had their ups and downs instead. You can go back to the Saints game, for example, the first Saints game, and really see that. So when you get him in there, you want to watch and see how does he communicate and fit in with the other safety in the lineup, and you want to see how they play him alongside those cornerbacks. And you're going to know real quick if he's going to fit in well long-term or not. That's interesting, yeah. I mean, and I think that's it's going to be a very um, uh, eye-opening camp, I believe, because you bring him in and, of course, uh, you bring in uh, Abram, who they just drafted, Jonathan Abram, who they drafted in the first round. In addition to all the other uh, players that they have back there, it's it's going to be a heck of a competition um, back there. And, and I know Joyner uh, can play a couple different spots, cornerback and safety. So I think that uh, we'll see who pans out and who doesn't. But, but uh, uh, you know, chemistry is always everything as well. So we'll see how those guys all get along back there. Yeah, when he's on, he's one of the best in the league. He really is. Yeah. When he's on. So we'll see. Um, you mentioned the draft earlier. The Raiders did face, like you said, plenty of criticism with Cleveland Farrell, the fourth overall pick of the draft. What do you know about their plan overall here? You know, you mentioned a little bit earlier, did they learn there was a demand for Farrell much earlier in the draft, so they went and got him? Did the Raiders want to trade back and couldn't find a partner? 
what was the whole deal with him and moving around that first round of the draft? Well, yeah, there's, there, there were reports that they were trying to move down and, and couldn't find anybody to do that uh, at the right price. And so that's certainly, um, uh, uh, I think, something that was probably true. At the same time, um, you know, everybody wants to trade down and pick up picks, right? You have to have a willing dance partner, and that doesn't always happen. But I think I think that uh, Cleland Farrell is going to be a very fine player. I think he's going to be a three-down player in the NFL for 10 years. I think he's a good player. I think that what happened here is they saw a guy that they really liked. You know, the Giants, of course, are taking a lot of hits because of Daniel Jones taking hit number six. Whether or not you think he's a top 10 or pick or not, the Giants believe that he's going to be the guy. And I think that's the case here with Colin Farrell and the Raiders, especially with Mike Mayock and John Gruden. They believe that he's a guy who's going to be on the edge and is going to be able to help them have what they haven't had since uh, Khalil Mack was gone, and that is a pass rush. Because last year, of course, as you know, they ranked uh, last in the league uh, in that in sacks as well. So, so I think what they're getting is they're getting a kid who is a good kid. Is he the most elite uh, edge rusher? No, but he is a high-character guy. That was a theme. If you look at the picks that they made, too, as well, which I know for those folks who aren't Raider fans are probably saying, what do you mean Raiders high character, right? Uh, but uh, but that's what it is. You know, that's what it is. These guys have a culture that they're building uh, with Mike Mayock and John Gruden, and they want kids who are high character but also have a high motor, and I think Farrell fits that. I think Josh Jacobs, who's a hell of a kid, I mean, you know his story, uh, living in a car, living in hotels with his dad uh, when he was young, just an amazing human human story. Uh, and, and then, of course, Jonathan Abram, who's a hard, hard hitter. He's an alpha male on the field. Uh, and, and one of the picks I think they actually reached on, too. But, but overall, I mean, you look at this draft for them, and what they're doing is they're trying to sit, build the mold of the type of player that they want. So that's why they went with the kids they did. I, mean, I know you compared the Raiders to the Giants. The one thing I would say with the Raiders, though, the Raiders, even outside that first pick, seemed to follow the same map all the way through. The Giants were much more confusing, especially <laughs> considering, you know, they the Giants really need to hit on somebody with that first yeah. pick of theirs. And the Raiders, they have enough picks they can afford to strike out, believe it or not. And that was the big difference to me. You have Daniel Jones, who was a guy who on many boards was barely top 100, and at least with Cleveland Farrell, you could think he will go at least mid-first round. So it's not that big of a reach to go get him. Not that... No, that... No, that I understand. Um, uh, At the same time, though, you know, I think, you know, when you're talking about when you're talking about number one picks, right, in the first round, um, you're, you're, you're talking about guys that, yeah, you know, you, I don't care if you're Bill Belichick, you're not going to hit on every guy. It just doesn't happen to your point, right? You're going to have some swings and misses. But I think that's what the Raiders did. Um, you know, Kelly Kreiner, who's our draft analyst on the show and on our website, uh, you know, he said, he said, look, you know, did they – I was. I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. He wanted them to take big swings and try for the fences. And what they really did was they got singles and doubles. And maybe that's selling them too short. More like doubles and triples. Uh, but but what what they did is they played it a little safe. And maybe that's not a bad thing when you're a team that was as bad as they were on the defensive side of the ball. And and with the Giants, yeah, you make the point um, uh, with with a big reach. And that's where I think. The, the Raiders maybe were taking at first, and including from me, I'll be the first to admit it, some some criticism on draft night when we were doing our show because it was so shocking and surprising that two of those players that everyone thought that they were you know enamored with, uh, they passed up and went and got Farrell at four. So 
So I, I, it, it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. But, of course, all this talk, all these things that you and I do and we're addressing the teams that we cover, uh, we won't know the end result of this for a couple years and when these guys either pan out or they don't. Now, going to that draft class itself, outside of Farrell, which draft pick really stands out to you as a potential major, major player in this this roster for years to come? Well, I think I think uh, uh, Josh Jacobs again. I mean, you know, I, I I'm philosophically I'm not a big fan of taking at this era of the NFL where you have spread offenses. You know, it's not it's not the the 70s, 80s, or even part of the 90s where a featured running back uh, is is something that you want to get in the first round. I think you can get good running backs. Could you have gotten Josh Jacobs in the second round? I think you could have. At the very least, they could have gotten him at 27 instead and picked someone else ahead of him. Um, I know that seems crazy, but there was no one else that was going to trade up and take him, and everybody knew that. So it was a very strange thing. But I think Josh Jacobs can be uh, the back that they need him to be. He's a great pass catcher out of the backfield as well. So in, in John Gruden's offense, that'll be very, very valuable. The guy I really like is Trayvon Mullen um, from from Clemson. Of course, the. Uh, Everyone's joking, uh, the Clemson Raiders because they drafted <laughs> they drafted yeah. those two players. But then uh, you know he he is a great one. And then um, I think that Max Crosby from Eastern Michigan. Um, I have my doubts about him. Uh, he needs to get stronger. But also, but uh, between Mullen and and then Hunter Renfro, a wide receiver. Yes, he's a small wide receiver. He's the kind of wide receiver that Bill Belichick would have gotten. Gone. He's he's quick. He's got great hands. He's not a burner. He's not going to light up uh, uh, the route tree. But what he does do is the kid catches everything that is thrown at him. So uh, on underneath routes and the shorter routes, you're going to be able to really find him. And, and so I think those those three guys were really, really um, good. And then if you look at what they did uh, in free agency, undrafted free agents as well, um, there's some there's some good names there too. So I think I think the Raiders are on, on the right track of, try, of, of really building uh, for what they want to do. And that's by the time they get here to Las Vegas next year. They're, they're a team that is in playoff contention. Are they going to be a Super Bowl team in 2020? No. Uh, but crazier things have happened, and I think that they're trying to build it the right way. Uh, and and the one thing we do know is they are committed to Derek Carr at least for one more year. Okay, so that takes me to our last question here. Where do the Raiders rank in the AFC West after this draft, and how soon should we expect the Raiders to compete for a playoff spot again? That's a great question, um, and I'll tell you what. I think that I mean, you look at what the Kansas City Chiefs did last year. It's hard to argue that that that, uh, that they're not the best team in the, in the division because they are. Uh, but of course, now Tariq Hill most likely has played his last game as a Chief. Uh, they lost uh, Kareem Hunt last year, so two of their best offensive weapons are now gone. They still have Travis Kelsey and a myriad of other folks there. Uh, so I think the Chiefs, if, if Patrick Mahomes has even you know three quarters of the year he had last year. Um, to me, they're still the class of the division. The Chargers aren't far behind with that defense. They had another great draft. Uh, uh, but I think the Raiders then would come uh, next, and then the Broncos in, in last in the division as far as kind of who's set up. Uh, but the Raiders, I'll tell you what, what the, what the Raiders did this year, and there is a big but here, and that is if Derek Carr can be the quarterback that we all know he can be, and I believe he will be, um, they could they could compete for a spot this year, except for they have the most difficult schedule in the NFL, including a 49-day stretch where they don't play at home. So that alone, I think, is going to maybe... Could they have won eight games in 2019? I think they might be able to, uh, but with that road schedule and with the overall schedule... 
and the brutalness of it, I, I see them around six games. So I think in 2020, their first year in Las Vegas, they'll be in contention, but not this year. All right, Scott, thanks so much for coming on the show tonight. Really appreciate it. Can you let our listeners know where they can find you and where they can check out your work? Yeah, no, I appreciate you having on. Always always happy to talk football. Uh, yeah, we will. You can find us uh, every Sunday, our radio show from 8 to 10 a.m. Pacific time is on CBS Sports Radio 1140 in Las Vegas, but you can also get it on the radio.com app and listen anywhere in the country if you're interested or if perhaps we're playing the Rams or whatever it may be. Uh, and then, of course, you can visit us at silverandblacktoday.com where we have written coverage uh, covering the team as well and uh, with an with a increased focus, of course, on Las Vegas because that's where we're based. All right. Again, thanks so much, Scott. Really appreciate your time, and hopefully we see the Rams Raiders matchup real soon. <laughs> that would be great. I appreciate you having me on. You take it easy. Have a good one. You too. Take care. All right. I want to thank Scott so much for coming on the show. It was really neat to really kind of get his point of view on everything. You can follow him on Twitter at LV Golly. And don't forget earlier from Brooke Pryor, you can also follow her at BE Pryor. Both of them solid follows and very interesting points of view for their teams. All right, folks, there's no real Rams news out there right now. It's just been very quiet across the league and with the team. It looks like things are starting to settle in. I don't really have anything else to share. If you have some things you'd like to ask us, email us at Rams1945. Get me on Twitter at DC Paul. Talk to the Talk Rams, the Rams Talk Twitter page, at Talk Rams. Ask us any question. We'll get back to you. Quite frankly, we want to answer questions. We want to talk football, so come talk to us. Also, if you want to get in touch with the other members of our staff, you can, like Mike, one Duke 23 or Josh Kolak, he's usually on the show with me. You can get him at rnkylo, underscore kylo. Don't forget some iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Android, Google Play, Player FM, and iBeatRadio.com. They play our shows on Wednesdays and Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. So, for everybody on the Rams Talk staff, this is Derek C. Paul saying take it easy and go Rams. control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this slept on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the making. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Breaking up is hard to do, but when it comes to your wireless carrier, you should have left a while ago. You're over the big three carriers. You deserve better. Xfinity Mobile. Now you can get unlimited with 5G included for just $30 a month on the nation's fastest, most reliable network. So break free from the big three and save with Xfinity Mobile. Take the savings challenge at XfinityMobile.com slash savings to see how much you can save when you get Xfinity Mobile and Internet together. Reduced speeds at 20 gigabytes per line. Most reliable based on root metrics U.S. report. Results vary, not an endorsement.